Well, as, we, as we've heard already, Habakkuk, he was a prophet in, um, in the Old Testament, of course, about 600 years before Christ, he lived. He was a prophet in the last days of the kingdom of Judah. Israel had been split. Northern kingdom, Israel, and southern kingdom, Judah. And that kingdom of Judah was in danger. They were threatened from the outside with the rising of the Babylonians. And these guys were ruthless people. They would just take over cities. They were getting stronger and stronger. And they were being threatened by the Babylonians. But that wasn't the, their biggest problem. The biggest problem was the threat from inside. Because Judah, the people of God, they had turned their backs on God. They were, they were involved in idolatry. They were involved in violence, in wickedness, in um, lawlessness. Jerusalem, the city of peace, the city of God, there was violence there. It was not a safe city. People were scared to go outside. There was no justice. The law was useless. <laughs> Sounds familiar? <laughs> and so when you, when you read the book of Habakkuk, you think, hey, this book could have been written today. A couple of countries I can think of that, that sound like that. And this world is, is getting worse and worse. But it was decay. And so what happens? Habakkuk, in the middle of all this decay, he complains to God. So let's remember the outline of the book. Remember the outline of the book? Actually, three sections. First of all, the first section is his first complaint. And God's answer, which goes from chapter 1 to, uh, from 1 to 111. And we've, we've dealt with that, the first complaint and God's answer. Then the second part is the second complaint and God's answer. You're going to start dealing with that today. And then the third part is chapter 3, which is a psalm of worship. In part 1, crying out, we looked at Habakkuk's first complaint as he cried out to God about the terrible state of his nation. Jerusalem, the city of peace, the city of God, was full of violence. The nation was corrupt and turned to idolatry. And this bothered him. And so he cried out to God. It is okay to cry out to God. It is okay, okay to come to God and, 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 and pour out our frustrations, our fears. It's okay. And we should do that. If we value our lives, if we value our families, if we value our city, our nation, and we see things going wrong, it's okay. And we should cry out to God. God, look what's going on. And of course, Habakkuk said, what are you doing about it? Because he thought God was doing nothing about what was going on. And many times we think God is doing nothing about our situation. And so God answered. And in part two, the unexpected, last Sunday, we looked at God's unexpected answer to Habakkuk. Habakkuk thought that God didn't care and was disconnected about what was going on. But God tells Habakkuk that he's very aware of what is going on. And he's planning to ju bring judgment upon the nation. He tells Habakkuk, hey. Look at the nations. You see, when we are in trouble, we tend to look down at our own situation. And Habakkuk was looking at his nation, his reality, his capital city, Jerusalem. And he was worried about this stuff. And God says, hey, hey lift up your eyes and look at the nations. Look what is happening around you. And he allowed Habakkuk to see what those guys said. Listen, look, look at the Babylons. And guess what, Habakkuk? I am raising them up to bring judgment to your city and to bring judgment to my people. That is not what you want to hear from God. <laughs> Come on. Unexpected. First God says, Habakkuk, I'm going to show you something that if you had to hear it, you wouldn't believe. And he goes, yeah, really, Lord? Oh, my goodness. You're going to do a miracle. You're going to sort us out. <laughs> and then God drops this bombshell. I'm bringing these violent people, these ruthless people, to bring judgment to you. Obviously, obviously, Habakkuk was not pleased. And that is where you are today. Part three, difficult conversations, because Habakkuk just cannot shut up, can he? 
And so when, when, when God reveals to him what he's about to do, Habakkuk, his, his circus just blow. He flipped. He says, what? And so let's turn to Habakkuk chapter 1 from verse 12 to chapter 2 verse 1. And we're going to read the portion first and then we'll kind of break it down and, and see how it speaks to us today. So Habakkuk chapter 1 verses from verse 12. So Lord, God has told him what he's going to do. So he, he kind of takes a moment, he, he takes a breath and he goes, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish them. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then, why, Lord, why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? He's talking about his own nation. And although his, his nation was, was, was sinning, in comparison to the Babylonians, they looked like righteous <laughs> and we do that sometimes, don't we? We, we, we kind of uh, compare our bad deeds to their bad deeds. And if their bad deeds are more than my bad deeds, we think we are good people. We're righteous. It's like that mafioso boss, his brother died. And so he goes to the priest, his priest, my brother's died, and you're going to do the funeral. But listen, you've got to say something nice about my brother. Huh? The priest says, but come on. This guy, he was a murderer, he was a thief, he was a swindler. How can I say something nice about him? Father, you say something nice about him. I give you a big donation for the church. The priest said, okay, uh, uh, please, Father, let the people know that this man was a saint. Priest says, okay, I'll see what I can do. Comes out of the funeral. Priest comes up, there's the coffin. He says, my brothers and sisters, this man, this man, he was a crook. He was a thief. He committed crimes. He was a bad man. But listen, compared to his brother, this man was a saint. <laughs> and that's what we do sometimes, you know. Oh, I am bad. But, but look at him. Uh, look at her. Oh, I, I, I'm a saint compared to that. And that's what he's doing. He says, God, you're using those guys. They are worse than us. And now they're coming to, 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 to punish us. Huh? More righteous themselves? Verse 14. You have made people like the fish of the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe, the Babylonians, pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and he's glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? What, God, what are you thinking? Chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he, God, will say to me and what answer I am going to give to this complaint. <laughs> All right? Now, I, I want you to catch this because he's blown away. He's upset, he's angry, he's full of fear. And what do you do when your life is not going too lekker, too well? When your circumstances stink? When you think your world is, is tumbling down, your future seems bleak? And I don't know what you're going through. Some of you guys watching, some of you guys listening. You know, you, you may be in a difficult situation. You may be in a troubled situation. So what do you do? How do we as, as believers react to these realities? So let's, let's learn something from, from Habakkuk here. You see, in Habakkuk's first complaint that we dealt with two weeks ago, he's complaining that God is not doing enough. God, aren't you doing anything? You're doing nothing. What's happening? And then when God responds to him and tells him what he's going to do, now he says, God, you're doing too much. <laughs> First, you're not doing enough. Now you're, you're doing too much. You're going overboard now, God. And it, it, that's so typical how we, we deal with the Lord sometimes. God, please help me. Do something. And God goes, oh, no, no, it's too much. 
What can we learn and apply today to our lives from this portion of the conversation, of the difficult conversation between Habakkuk and God? I wonder how many of us today are facing a difficult challenge. Whether it's a personal challenge, a family challenge, a relationship challenge. What about our, our community challenges, our national challenges? What about our global challenges? Together, all of us, we are certainly facing some national challenges, aren't we? Things are not all that nice in South Africa. We have, we have to face reality. And, and part of it, part of what we are, we are suffering here is because of what is going on globally. And I wonder right now if there is any one nation in the world who can say, hey, it's going well with us. I can't think of one nation. The great nations of the world are all in trouble. Just watch a little bit of the news. What are we going to do? What are you going to do in this global situation? We have just gone through a painful pandemic. The coronavirus is, is still with us. And then war breaks out as Russia invades Ukraine. And it begins to affect the economy of the world. And now, the Hamas terrorists from Gaza invade Israel and slaughter people, butcher people which causes Israel to retaliate and go after Hamas. They're going to sort them out. Wouldn't you? If your friends and family were butchered ruthlessly. But that causes people all over the world to go against Israel and mindlessly join the chant of free Palestine from the river to the sea. Palestine shall be free. And what are they actually saying? Kill the Jews. Annihilate the Jews. That's the world we're living in. Uh, what crazy world are we living in right now? In the nations of Europe. Thousands of people in the streets, chanting, you know, down with Israel. People, Jewish homes being marked like in the Nazi days. In some countries in South America, in, in France, in, in Germany, in, in, in other nations in Europe, in Russia. What's going on? And I, I think if the Jews would read this book today, if they read Habakkuk today, they will realize that they find themselves in a very similar situation again. When the world is turning against them, bent on their destruction. Now, you know, we, we had no idea, you know, three, four months back when we started planning this series, we had no idea we'd be in this particular historical situation. That what we are studying actually is so, so similar, so parallel to what is happening to Israel right now. We didn't know this. Of course, today we have the benefit of this prophecy and other Old Testament prophecies plus the New Testament revelation. And, so, and you also have the benefit of, of history. And so... We know, we have an idea, we understand what is going on. For you as a believer, what is happening right now in the Middle East should be no surprise. It is scripture unfolding before your eyes. But a lot of people, as you see the, re the reactions around the world, including from our beloved government, we realize that people have no idea what the Bible says about end times. They do not understand what is taking place. But we as believers, if you know the word of God, you know what is going on. And you know how things will ultimately turn out. So what do we need to do? We need to pray for peace in that area. We need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And we need to pray that Palestinians and Jews and the Arab world will come to know Jesus. That's what they all need. All of them. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And only He can bring peace in that area. And He will. But not before some terrible things take place. 
So please pray, 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 pray. So although the Jewish nation would do well in reading this book and learning from their past mistakes, today in this series, we will look at how this book applies to us right here, <laughs> okay? Uh, to our daily lives, whatever you are watching, whatever you are listening. How does this passage apply to us? And the main thing to notice in today's passage is this. How do we approach God when we do not understand nor agree with how He is dealing with the circumstances around us? And if you've been a, a Christian for a while, you will know that sometimes you do not like what is happening around you. Sometimes you pray and God does not answer you the way you want Him to answer you. Sometimes you pray and He takes His sweet time in answering you and in between you've got no idea what's going on is he gonna say yes is he gonna say no what is going to happen and you just have to hang in there in space what do you do how do you approach god so let's go back to the passage verse 12 lord are you not from everlasting my god my holy one you will never die you, Lord, have appointed them, the Babylonians, to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Now you see, look what he's doing here. He's, he's complaining, no doubt about it. He's, he's upset. He, he wants God to hear him very clearly. But here's what he does. What do we do when we are upset, when you are disappointed, when we don't understand what's going on? We tend to focus on the problem. We focus on the situation. God, I'm going through this. God, this is what's wrong. God, da, 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 da. look at me. God, help. Da, 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 da. We focus on the problem, on the situation, on the sickness, on the relationship, on the whatever it is that's bothering us. Look what this guy does. He begins his complaint by focusing on God and declaring what he knows to be true about God. He says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? God, you are eternal. God, my holy one. God, you are holy. You will never die. Some, some translation says, we will not die. And that's because in, in that passage, what he actually wrote is, you will not die. And, and it seems that some scribes they put a little notes in the margin because when he says, you will not die, what is he saying? You will not die. We are your people, therefore, we will not die. And you find this, this idea, we will not die, all over the Old Testament. David says it. Malachi, God actually tells his people, you are my people, you will not die. And if you think, look back in history. In this situation, they wanted to Wipe out Israel. They didn't wipe out. They went to Babylonian to, Bab to Babylon as they were captured. They went there. While they were in Babylon, there was a threat upon the nation. You know, the whole Esther story. They wanted to wipe out the Jews. They didn't. Through, you, you find throughout the Old Testament, time and time again, the nations want to wipe out the Jews, and they can't. And throughout history, Russia, Europe, uh, Christians in, in historically, they, they've all turned against the Jews but they cannot wipe them out because of God's covenant with them. We heard last week the whole story, you know, the, 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 of, of them. But, but what he's saying is, God, I'm, I'm focusing on you. You are holy. You are good. You are eternal. And, and, and because you're eternal, I, I'm, I'm with you. And therefore, I, we're not going to disappear. We are not going to be destroyed. So he begins by remembering who God is. He focuses on the character of God who is unchanging. Listen, God is unchanging. And he says that over and over and over in scripture. In the New Testament, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His character never changes. Who he is never changes. He remains good even when what we see going around us is not good. Even when it seems that God is not doing anything good, God remains good. And so he focuses on that. He remembers who God is. And when we face our troubles, prayer works best when we begin by keeping focus on the Lord. Whatever our question is, 
Whatever our complaint is, we need to remember who God is. Remember what we know about God, that he's good, perfect, much bigger than we can imagine, more powerful than we can know. I also noticed when he speaks here, the use of personal pronouns. He says, Lord, you, uh, you are my God, my holy one, eh? my rock. Now, earlier today, we sang a song here where you repeated some of these words. You said, you are my rock. You are my savior. We, 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 sp- we sang to God using the personal pronoun. And I really pray that, that for every one of us, those watching, those listening, those of you here, I, I really pray that you mean this from your heart, that God is your God. He's not some distant God out there. He said, my, my God, my Holy One. You see, it's one thing to know about God. It's another thing to know God. Huh? Like Habakkuk, you know, he, was, he belonged to God's people in the Old Testament, the Jewish nation. And so he could say, my God. Well, as Christians, we are God's people. The church we are God's people. We can say, my God. We need to mean it. To say, my God, we have to know him. We can trust him. Even when he's silent, or even when what he says and does does not please us, we can still say, my God, because I know him. <laughs> I remember, you know, when for many years I did assemblies in, in high schools around here. And usually the first time I went into a school, I would say some, some wacky things. And, and one of the things I would say as I would walk up on the stage, the opening room, I would say, you know what? Um, I do not believe that God exists anymore. And the kids are looking at me and, and the principal says, before you guys throw me out of the stage, let me explain. I've been married now for however many years I was married back then. Right now I've been married for over 40 years. And so if I came to you and I pointed to my wife and said, I really believe that that lady is my wife. What do you think of me? But you've married for 40 years. You only believe she's your wife? You see, because very quickly in my marriage life, I stopped believing that she's my wife. I knew that she's my wife. There's a difference between believing that someone is and knowing that some ways. I started my faith life believing that God exists. Believing that God is good. Believing that God is powerful. But as I grew in knowledge and relationship, I stopped believing because I started knowing. Hello? When... When you study electronics, they give you a couple of laws like Ohm's law and so forth. And you write it down and you believe they're right. And then you go to the laboratory and start making experiments. You know, you put a voltage, you put a resistor, and, and you start measuring. And you find, hey, it's true. This formula works. You know, da, 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 da. And then you stop believing because now you know. And you can go ahead in your work and you can trust that formula because you know it works. Somewhere in our lives, we need to know who God is. Know that he is God, that he is love. But you see, this doesn't happen in moments of crisis. You you see, Habakkuk didn't discover this the moment his nation was under threat. By the time the people hit the fan, by the time the nation got in trouble, Habakkuk already had a relationship with God. And so when trouble came, he knew who he was talking to. And so many people today, they ignore God. They ignore the church. They ignore the Bible. They ignore everything until the popo hits the fan. And then they run to the church. And then they want the pastor. And then they want the prayer. And then they want the miracle. And it must happen now. And when it doesn't happen, they go, yeah, I knew it. This stuff doesn't work. <laughs> or if God does answer, yay, this is wonderful. God help me. Wonderful, wonderful. And, 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 and once they've got the blessing, they walk away and they ignore God again. And I've seen this so, so many times. God blessing people, and once they're happy, boom, they're gone. They ignore God. Or, 
being disappointed, being disappointed because God doesn't answer the way they want it, and so they ignore God. Listen, guys, God is God. Your little pitiful attitude towards Him, whether you believe Him or not, does not change who He is. <laughs> he remains God. We must align ourselves to Him because He ain't going to align Himself to us. The creation must line up with the Creator. And yet today, creation is trying to tell God what He should do and how He should be. I have my preference, you know, God. That's my preference. Nah. God is God. God and Habakkuk knew that, and we better know that. Hab, he, Habakkuk knew God. So he first ran to God. And he focused first on God. When he didn't like God's answer, he didn't run away from God. No. He leaned onto his relationship with God. And he begins his second complaint, this difficult conversation, by remembering what he knows about God and speaking it out in prayer. Then the, the next verse is rather interesting. He says, oh, God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous, the Babylonians? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those who are more righteous than themselves? Now he's trying to get God to change his mind. He figured out God is going to bring punishment to this nation. He's using those lousy creeps to come and punish us. I, I've got to change his mind. And so I've got to, I've got to, I've got to sweet talk him. God, you are so righteous. You, you cannot look up. God, you could not possibly, you couldn't possibly do this, God. You are too holy, too loving, too good to do this. Hello? That's us. That's us. You see, he couldn't handle the fact that God was going to use the Babylonians to cure the problem of violence in Jerusalem, of immorality, of idolatry. Okay? How can God use a nation more wicked than Israel to punish them? He's saying, you are making the Babylonians a stronger nation simply to put things right in Jerusalem? No, 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 no. And then he's also the why question. Why, Lord? Why? Why? You know, why? Why didn't you tolerate? Why are you so silent? And have you ever asked God the why question? I have. In these last three years, I have asked the why question many, many times. And it's okay, as long as you talk to him. Don't say why and walk away. Why and go to God. As long as you take it to him. Sometimes we will get answers fairly soon as to why. Sometimes we will only understand many years later when we look back and we go, ah, oh, no way, no way. And sometimes you're not going to get an answer in this life. Maybe other people later will understand, but you won't. How many of the prophets, they said things they could not understand. And they came to happen hundreds of years later. And then people said, ah, oh, now it makes sense. Even things that are happening today. There are passages in Isaiah which, you know, 200 years ago people couldn't understand. But today we understand because things have evolved. Things have happened. And so sometimes you will know, sometimes you won't get the answer to your why. Why, why, why? But you've got to keep on trusting in God because you know that he's a good God. You see, you, you, you trust in his character. You don't trust God because of his answer. You trust God because of his character. You trust in God because of who he is, not because of what he does. Yeah. And so he says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. That sounds nice, isn't it? But is it really true? 
You must remember, verse 13 is Habakkuk speaking, not God. You see, when we know something about God, we tend to pull towards the characteristics that we love about God, and we tend to ignore what is uncomfortable, that we don't like about God. The things that require something from us, we cannot tend to put it aside. For example, God revealed himself to, and his character to Moses. And, and he said the following to Moses. He says, God passed him to Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, the gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Now we read that and you say, oh, look at this. God, oh, he's so wonderful. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love and faithfulness. Hallelujah. He maintains his love to thousands of generations. And he forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is so good. He's so loving. And we conveniently forget the next sentence, which says that he does not leave sin unpunished. And so what do we do today? Today, we, 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 we say things like, how can a God of love allow suffering in the world? Or how can a good God and a loving God use pain and suffering for his purposes? No, 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 no. God is a good God. God is love. He will never send anybody to hell. He forgives everybody. He loves everyone. Doesn't matter what choices I make. God is a loving God. You see what we do? We, we, we kind of mold God to our image. We want to create our own God. And you know what? We might not worship an idol at home, but you've got an idol right here in our brain, in our mind. And we are bowing down to that God. That's what people are doing out there in the world today. They've created their own God, their own Christian God. And they're bowing down to that, not realizing who God really is. We have to embrace the whole truth of God, the whole word. You see, the, the, the truth is, he says, uh, can you, uh, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. The truth is that he can and he does. The truth is that God can, can and does look on evil and he does tolerate wrongdoing. God not only looked at evil, but he entered the human experience and he suffered evil. The evil of humanity. He came right into it. He didn't just look. He entered the evil world. And suffered the evil of this world. And then he turned that same evil around. And used it for the salvation of humanity. Jesus became a man. And he suffered the evil. He saw it. He felt it. And people turned against him. Crucified him. And he turned that act of evil right around and said, I am using this to take your punishment so that you can have a relationship with God if you will believe in me. Oh yes, God does look at evil. God tolerates wickedness, not because he accepts it, but out of love, hoping that by delaying his judgment, people will turn to him. Look what Peter said in, in 2 Peter 3.9. This is an old argument. And, and so he says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. You see, for a long time, people kept on saying, When is God going to do justice? When is he going to liberate us? When is the Messiah coming? When is he going to put an end to this whole thing? It's an old story. People keep on asking it. And in the first century, people were asking it. And Peter says, God is not slow in keeping his promise. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why is God still tolerating the craziness in this world? Is it because he's ignoring it? Because he doesn't care? No, because he cares. He's, he's, he's waiting, hoping that some more people will come to him, will repent. They don't run out of, of personal ideas and run to him. 
But the but next verse says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Here's the deal. It is also true that God will not look upon evil and tolerate wrongdoing forever. So Habakkuk was partially right. You see, he wanted God that day not to look on evil and to not tolerate sin. The fact is, God is going to stop tolerating and stop looking at sin. That day is coming because God is gonna, not going to put up with this nonsense forever. He brings judgment from time to time upon the nations, but the day is coming when the whole world will be dealt with. God will bring judgment. And Habakkuk thought that God was ignoring Israel's wickedness, but God was watching. And since they did not repent, God brought judgment. And the same happens today. <laughs> yeah, he is a loving God. And it seems that wickedness is overtaking the world everywhere, but God will bring judgment. The suffering and the pain in the world is man's doing. Look around. Every single thing you see out there is man's doing. Because of sin. It's a direct result of sin. And we could be enjoying the peace, beauty, and joy of Eden. But sin separated us then and separates us now from all those blessings. But the day will come where there will be a restoration. Last week, we were given a brief summary of Israel's history from Genesis to this point in time here, 600 BC. And we learned that God made a covenant with the Jews. And then from Abraham, God raised up a nation to be his people, through which he would reveal himself to the nations, through which Messiah would come. And there were conditions, and there were blessings and curses, and, and the people had to follow the law that God gave Moses. However, they kept breaking that law, and they kept on being judged. They did not learn, and they still haven't learned. You see... It's important to look at history, to look at it like we did last week, and then to look back from then on until now and what's happening right now. You see, because history is his story. I want you to understand this. You can even write it down somewhere. History is his story. It's not history, it's his story. His story. And it doesn't, doesn't look like it sometimes. When you look at all the fighting and the wars and the destruction and the pain, it doesn't look like it. But you go back in history and you begin to realize that history is linear. It's not circular. History is going somewhere. Everything that the prophets spoke in the Old Testament came to pass. And some of them had a, 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 a short-term vision. Some of them had a long-term vision. And the history of the world is following the biblical pattern. Everything that is in the Word of God, it has been following. The history of the Jews is exactly as it was prophesied. And then Messiah came out of that nation, just as it was prophesied. All those prophecies about Jesus, all of them came to pass. In his single life, he fulfilled over 300 prophecies. You think it's a coincidence? You go and try to work out the odds of one person fulfilling 300 prophecies in their lifetime. And some people think, okay, so that's it. So the Jews did their job. Messiah came, now ignored them, now it's the church. And No, 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 no. The church... Now is God's nation, God's people. He used the Israelites in the Old Testament to reveal himself to the world. Today, he works in the world through his body, through the church, which is the body of Christ. But he hasn't forgotten about the Jews. He's still going to deal with them. They're not forgotten. We are living right now in the period, in the time of the Gentiles. But the time of the Gentiles is going to come to an end. Gentiles is everybody who's not a Jew. But our time is going to come to an end, and God's going to go back and deal with the Israelites. And then Jesus is going to come and reign on the earth in Jerusalem and bring peace to the world. <gasps> Pastor, where did you get that? No, 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 no. Bible. Go read. And here's our problem. 
You spend hours and hours and hours on, 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 on media and YouTube and Facebook and blah, 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 getting a whole bunch of palookas giving their opinions and confusing people, manipulating people, lying to people, instead of going back to the Word of God and simply reading what is there and allowing the Word of God to bring clarity and direction to our lives. You see, Habakkuk lived 600 BC. He had the Torah, the five first books, and he had history until that point. That was enough for him to believe in God and to trust God. Today, we've got so much more. So much more history. So much more fulfilled prophecy. So many, so many more new prophecies and revelations are about what's about to happen now. If all those things that were prophesied and about Christ happened, then those are the prophecies that have not been fulfilled yet. We know they are going to be fulfilled sooner than we think. Why? Because history is his story. I'm reminded of a passage from the book Resilient, you know, the, the series we did recently. And in that book, John Aldridge says the following. We are living in a story, friends, a story written and being unfolded by the hand of God. Despite what the world is shouting at you, the story of God is still the story of the world. This is the hardest thing to hang on to. It is hard because it doesn't make sense sometimes. This is the hardest thing to hang on to and the most important thing to hang on to. The fact that the story of God is still the story of the world. And whether you like it or not, all this confusion going on in South Africa, in, in, in United States, in Europe, in South America, in Russia, in the Middle East, in, in, in Asia, in all those countries, all this mess, it's still the story of God. I think it is very clear that we, by ourselves can only make a mess. It's about time we look up. It's about time we realize that we need God. It may be hard for us to wrap our head around this truth. But look back in history. What God told Habakkuk did come to pass. What other prophets said did come to pass. Anyway. Habakkuk, verse 14 to 17. You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and he's glad. So he's saying the Babylonians, they are catching nations like fishermen catch fish. But they did. Just destroying them, catching them. And, and therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? You see, not only are he saying, not only the Babylonians catching people like, like fishermen catch fish in the net, they don't even acknowledge that God has given them the ability to do that. They think it's their own strength. They take the credit for it and they worship their nets. They worship their own gods. And so he's saying, God, how can you do this? How can you allow these palookas to come on? They are worse than us. They are just destroying nations like fishermen catch fish. They don't acknowledge you. They think they are the greatest people. Are they just going to keep on doing this? Nation after nation, destroying the world. Are they going to keep on doing this? You see, in his complaint to God, he describes what he knows about the Babylonians, which is pretty close to what we know about Babylonians from history. He talks about the, 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 the fish um, that, you know, the, the, he gathers them in his dragnet. He, he pulls them up with hooks. And it is known that sometimes when the Babylonians would come into a nation, when they take prisoners, they put hooks in their lower lips and just tie them all up with hooks and then bring them along. They drag them along as the, the, the prizes. And so those guys were bad. They are bad news. You think Hamas is bad? I think they learned from the Babylonians, okay? And these guys are bad. 
And so he's saying, are they just going to keep on doing this forever? It seems that, it seems to Habakkuk, that God is allowing these people to destroy not just Israel, but all the nations around without mercy. So Habakkuk pours his heart out, his concern, his fears, and yet he remains humble and he wants to trust God. And he declares that in the, in the, in the last verse, which is chapter 2, verse 1, he declares that he, he pours his heart out, he blows a gasket, he says what he has to say, all his complaints, and then he says, I will stand at my watch, verse 1 of the, chapter 2, and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. He asks, and then he waits to hear from God, knowing that God will answer in his time. That verse means he's going to take the posture of a sentinel, of a watchman. He's going to be expectantly waiting for God to answer. And he's attentive and listening, and he's expecting even that God may reprimand him for his boldness and for the way he spoke to God. In some translations, that comes across. In the NIV, it says, I shall, I shall wait to see uh, what, what I shall answer when I am reprimanded by God. In the New American, it says, I will keep watch to see what he will say to me and how I may reply when I am reprimanded. He had his say, then he said, yeesh, I think I've said too much. I think God's going to get mad at me. And, and, and I, I know the feeling when sometimes I get so frustrated and I say things to God. And then I go, oops. But you see, it's okay. God does not get easily offended. He wants you to speak out. Even if you're angry, even if you're upset, even if you don't, go to God. Don't run from God. Go to God. Go to God. And when you speak to God, don't get up and walk away. Just wait. Wait. Listen to what he's going to say. It's not easy in our busy lives, filled with noise and distractions, but we need to stop and listen. God always gives answers, and his answers are always what we need to hear, not always what we want to hear. Ouch. God is a just God. He will make sure that evil is dealt with, and he'll do what is right. He can be taken at his word and trusted, especially when his answers are hard for us to understand except God is a God who cares for his people. He cares for you. He cares for each one of us. Amen. And he speaks to us. He spoke directly to Habakkuk. To us, he speaks primarily and ultimately through his word, through the Bible. He can speak to us in other ways too. He can speak to us through circumstances, through others, through dreams, through prophecy, through the leading of the Holy Spirit in that intimate, quiet voice but always in line with the Bible. In the Bible, he reveals his master plan for us. And it is there that we find the greatest answer to every human problem in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. His master plan is revealed. That's why Christians understand what's going on in the world today, because of his master plan. But the main thing that is revealed is his answer to the human problem, which is Jesus Christ, a person. And as we shall see next week, God did answer. And in his answer, there was a revelation as well as instruction. God revealed truths and principles which are still valid today. He spoke them 2,620 years ago, and they still apply today. And we need to be aware of it. But as we close today, remember the following from today's message. Number one, keep your eyes on God. Number two, Talk with God. And number three, wait on God. That's chapter two, verse one. Keep your eyes on God. Focus on the character of God. Remember what he revealed to Moses about himself? What you know about scripture? Keep your eyes on that. Engage with God personally. My God, make sure that you know God in a personal way. Number two, talk with God. Tell him of your pain and your doubts. Bring him your questions. God welcomes that. And number three, wait on God. Linger in his presence and look out for his answer. Disconnect from distractions, from media, noise, and, and carve out time, a quiet time, a quiet space 
where you can be with the Lord and hear Him speak to you. Now, that is strange to most of us. If you sit down and you get quiet, you begin to look for this thing. You got to be busy. You got to be busy. No, 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 no. Just learn to do nothing and just hear the Lord. It's not easy, but He will speak to you. Even as we sit here right now, how is God speaking to you today, right now, through this passage? How does what you heard today shape your prayer life or help you with your prayer life? Think about it. What is God saying to you right now? How does this change your prayer life? And think about this. How will you create space this week to become quiet and wait on God? Take time this week to just sit aside. No TV, no media, no YouTube. Just chew maybe a nice cup of coffee or tea and just visit with God. And if your mind gets busy, have a little notebook with you and I've got to do this. Write it down. Yeah, yeah, you know. Do this, paint that, fix that, and put it away. And then get quiet before the Lord. Because I tell you something, you will be tempted to get busy. Your mind will go crazy. But if you can get quiet before God, He will speak to you. He'll give you direction. He'll give you comfort. Above all, He'll give you His peace. He might not give you a major word, but He'll allow you to sense His presence and to feel His peace. And you will know that you are not alone. That you can face whatever it is in your life. Let's stand up. Let's pray. My God, we thank you for this time together today, Lord. I pray a blessing upon everyone here, those watching, those listening. That God, we would run to you, Lord God, in our difficult times. But not talk first about the problem, but first of all, focus on who you are, my God. Help us to be developing a good relationship with you in good times, so that during bad times, we are comfortable in your presence, God, and we can boldly come before your throne of grace. Help each one of us, Lord, to be disciplined in carving out quiet times with you. Not just to talk to you, not just to hand over a shopping list to you, but to be quiet and listen to your voice. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for speaking, dear God. And so now, may the love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Remember to make your booking. If you want to be baptized, quickly fill in a form at the back there and leave it, give it to the ashes. And we'll see you next week. God bless you. Amen.